Well, hello again and uh, welcome to Moses Seat. This is the second second episode of the podcast and um, it's this time we're going to look at some of these articles and points I've started mentioning in the, in the previous um, episode. So this one we'll, we'll look at um, something interesting. We'll look at these cases where people say that the authorized version is obviously wrong. And they make you think, really, that the people who translated the authorized version had no understanding of these biblical languages. They make you think that um, they really didn't have any understanding of Hebrew or of Greek or Aramaic. And why they make you think that is because the people correcting them is pretty much anybody. I mean, it's anybody out there. It's it's somebody that just got a... A Bible out there, and he's got a footnote somewhere saying that the smart people say the verse should be translated in this way, and therefore he's able to correct the translators of the King James Bible. And um, like I pointed out in the previous episode, was that these men didn't just do their own work in translating the Bible. What they did is they actually built upon the work of the people going before them. Why do I say that? Well, if you do some research, you'll find out that um, there was some Bibles before the King James, and the King James was heavily relying on those particular translations. Uh, A lot of it is due to the fact that the the king made those rules. It said King James made those rules, said you couldn't change too much of it. It has to be mainly focused on the bishop's bible only change what needs to be changed don't change anything just for the sake of it uh, don't add any notes etc etc and all these rules you can look it up um, what those were the thing was they built not only on their own work they built also on the work of the people before them for the bishop's bible the bishop's bible were trained people trained clergymen in the uh, the, the church of england i don't necessarily agree with a lot of their theology, but they were trained in these languages. They were able to to judge in a particular way. And it was valuable in many ways because it was accurate to a certain extent. The King James therefore built upon that and they, in my view, made it much more accurate um, in that sense. They only not only built on the Bishop's Bible, they also built upon the Bible before the Bishop's Bible. Uh, they were other translate translations uh, there as well and the bishop's bible in a great sense actually contains a lot a lot of Tyndale's bible William Tyndale so they even built upon him and everybody since then that actually contributed in this effort so it's not just the 54 uh, 45 men depending on how you view the uh, the numbers and how many people were actually involved over the whole translation period it's not just them that translated the bible it's they're building on upon the work of the people before them so when you just go out and say this is wrong you must take that into account so let's look at one particular case this is going to be an an interesting approach Uh, we'll look into the same case a little bit more later but i asked myself uh, where do we start with this and i answered myself by saying why don't you start in the beginning? I did write this little article I'll read. I did write it a few years ago. I think it was in 2014. Um, 
after being confronted with this particular point and I wrote this and it addresses one aspect of the answer over why the traditional view of this translation of the very first verse in the Bible is actually correct. So let's look at it and um, if you have any comments please do send me any comments and uh, notes and anything that you, you wish. Go onto the website dlewe.org d-i-e-l-e-w-e dot o-r-g deliver.org it means the life I go to deliver.org and then there's a contact page and then you can type in a little comment there so the article we'll start with is this it's called in the beginning what does it mean when the bible says in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth there is a serious doctrinal difference of opinion on this chiefly because of what we wanted to say in general what you believe about the time frame of creation determines your understanding of this verse a study on how the hebrew word for it is used in other instances in the bible would certainly clear up any doubts and reveal whether the translators of the authorized version and in fact most other bible versions made a fundamental mistake in the second word of their translation of the bible or not so i'll just sum it up it means if this is wrong in the beginning if the very few three first words in your English Bible is wrong then it's not just the authorized version it's so many other versions that gets um, affected by this as well and this really is the foundation of the rest of the Bible if they couldn't get it wrong if they couldn't get it right on the very first verse oh boy there's not much hope for the rest of the Bible if they couldn't get it right on the very first verse. But if they could get it right in the very first verse, we can go on from there. So, a search through the Bible for the word beginning yields that it appears in 108 verses, of which 57 occurs in the Old Testament using derivatives of two different Hebrew root words. We are particularly interested in the first since that word is used in the very first verse in the Bible. And now we look at some of the Strong's Concordance explanations of these two words. First one, and that's Reshit. Okay, it's a noun, and it's feminine, and it means the first in place, in time, order, or rank, and you can specifically call it like a first fruit, something that is first, okay? in time, in place, in order, rank. And it comes from the root word Rosh. Rosh. And um, that's a noun, but it's masculine. And its meaning is the head, as is most easily shaken. You can shake your head, the top of your, your body. Uh, whether literal or figurative, in many applications of place, time, rank, etc. Sometimes it just means the head. Sometimes it means the head of a place, the head of time, the head of rank. In other words, the first, the, the beginning, the, the, uh, the top of it, the, uh, the main chief origin of it. Strong's number H7218. Then there's a second word. The second word is Tegila. Tegila. It's a noun, it's feminine, its meaning is a commencement. And it comes from a root word which is halal. Halal, 
And that's a verb, an action, and it means um, properly to bore, by implication to wound, to dissolve. Uh, figuratively, to profane a person, place or thing, to break one's word, to begin as if by an opening a wedge. And its Strong's number is H2490, and that comes apparently from H2485, which runs along the lines of to play, like in you will play the flute. Now search for the Strong's word code H7225 race sheet brings up a result of 49, which by nature of the obvious fact that it is a Hebrew word, only appears in the Old Testament. Okay, you can find a similar word in the uh, the Greek New Testament. I think the words arche, which be, which would be the equivalent. You find that in F John chapter one, uh, verse one, in fact. Um, but we're not looking at the Greek. We're looking at the Hebrew at this moment because it's it's a Hebrew thing. We want to analyze the Old Testament. See how was it used? Should it be in the beginning? Should it be in a beginning should it be in beginning and then carry on uh, and whether one of these three options is not perhaps the same as one of the other two options uh, which is interesting so let's look at it so this particular root and its derivatives are used in 49 verses in the bible 49 there are two verses where it appears twice in one verse and that's Deuteronomy 18, verse 4, which says, The first fruit also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. And then you've got Ezekiel 44, verse 30. And that says, And the first of all the first fruits of all things, and every oblation of all, of every sword of your oblation shall be the priest's, Ye shall also give unto the priest the first of your dough, that he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. So it brings the uh, actual total to 51 actual instances where it's used. Let us examine each one of them in the Hebrew text and compare it to the English translation of the King James Version. Now to understand what we are trying to achieve in the study, let's define clearly what the problem is. Let's at the start figure out what are we talking about essentially the core issue here is the lack of a visible definite article in the hebrew word in other words be beginning or the beginning is it beginning a beginning or the beginning in order for the old earth approach to work now, what is the old earth approach? Well, the old earth approach is something like what you would have in evolutionary um, teachings, um, like theistic evolution, where God did everything and he just let it evolve, or regular evolution, where something, everything just came by itself and it just carried on from there. So that's the, uh, the two options, really. And um, this is the old earth approach is the the old ancient the year that the world is like millions of years old kind of teaching. Now, now think about this. Remember this. Most Bibles, if you take a Bible, go into your bookshop, 
go to your library, go to your own bookshelf, grab just about any Bible that's been published in the last few hundred years, ever since they had printing and been translated into other languages, I'm not talking about the Hebrew, you'll find in most languages it says in the beginning. In other words, a specific beginning, one beginning. And and then it discusses what happened in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. So, in order for the old earth approach to work, it is assumed that the Hebrew word Bereshit is missing the linguistic trace of the prefixed letter Hey. In order for it to be translated as in the beginning. Now for those of you who don't understand Hebrew. Basically what you have in Hebrew is you've got a root word. And then you start adding little bits onto it. That indicate certain things. And you can actually get the effect that you actually have a few words. All in one word. If you need to translate that word into English. Afrikaans, German, whatever. You actually end up having to translate it to three Sometimes four different words, um, just to get the same meaning of what that one word was. Now, it's not as some people would say, oh, you get a completely different uh, idea of what's going on. You get a different um, teaching or whatever than the original word, and you have to go through funny hoops and things. No, it's the same word. The things that really gets added on to is things like your article, like the, or in, your prepositions. They, they all are sort of contracted into the word, and it becomes one word. So it's not like if I say car in Hebrew, I end up with saying house, greenhouse in English. It's nothing, you don't change the meaning. It's simply saying in car in Hebrew, and then it translated into English, and it comes out as in the car. It's something like that, along the lines that, like that, that would be the equivalent when you translate. Now, in this particular case, the hay, indicates uh, the the the, um, the definite article the and you add it into the word and you can see the definite article there so in this particular case bereshit if you look at the vowels if you look at the way it's it's presented there those little dots and stripes that's the vowels and things you see there you see that it's missing the word uh, the, the linguistic trace of that particular word so it does not appear to have the the word the in there now this leaves the possibility that there could have been many beginnings for the earth and that bereshit only means in a beginning and not in the beginning in this case now the linguistic trace i'm, I'm talking about is explained below in his book a Practical Grammar for Classical Hebrew, Dr. J. Weingreen, wrote in section B on page 28 of the second edition the following. He's explaining one of the most basic concepts of Hebrew. When the inseparable preposition is followed by the article, example is to the king, which we should expect to be the Hamelech, the hay of the article is scarcely audible and, in fact, falls away. So he was saying, le hamelek, and the hay, the le ha melek, the ha 
is scarcely audible and in fact falls away. Surrendering its vowel to the preposition. So the preposition in that case was the le. The ha is the vowel, the, the a is the, is the vowel of the, the he. That is now surrendered to the preposition. Thus it becomes la melek. So la ha melek becomes la melek. So if, it's all about what some people call euphonics. It's to do with the fact that when you speak a language, you become lazy. You want to speak it easy and quick. And you start pronouncing words in a particular way where you don't always pronounce them correctly. And you get it in any language. If you really sit carefully and think about your own language and you start thinking about these things, you, you start seeing it everywhere. Where things aren't really spelled exactly right you would, as you would expect it. Because people think it's not necessary. The other day I came across the word judgment. Some people would write it judge uh, with the E at the end, judgment. Um, I think mostly in, in England and so forth. Go to American spelling and it's judgment without the E. It's just judgment. And no judgment, it's just judgment. And you, because of the way it sounds, people just change the spelling. And it, it becomes the same thing there. So it's surrendering its vowel, the ha is surrendering its vowel to the preposition le. In the same way to the man, le ha dam becomes la dam. So la ha dam becomes la dam. To the darkness, le ha choshek becomes la choshek. And to the dust, le afar becomes le afar. Just as le ha becomes la, so be ha becomes ba, ke ha becomes ka. Just as le ho becomes lo, be ho becomes bo, ke ho becomes ko. Just as le he becomes le. Behe becomes be, kehe becomes ke. So, le means to, in the, in the basic sense. Be means with or in. Ke means for, because of. Uh, in the basic sense, sometimes it's got a little bit extra connotations and meanings there, but that's the, the basics of it. So, from the above mentioned rules, we may deduce that for Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. To mean in the beginning, it should have said Bereshit instead of Bereshit. Now, do you see there? The Bible says in the Hebrew, Bereshit. Now, according to these rules, it should have said Bereshit. Now, notice the different vowels used for the uh, bet. The first letter of the word. Kamets instead of Sheva. Looking at the normal usage of the word reishit, it's found to be generally used in the Bible as if it already contains the definite article, although hidden in the same particular way as in Genesis 1 verse 1. And this is very interesting. When people come to you and they say, 
It should really say in a beginning. They don't point that out to you. They don't point out to you that if you look through the Bible, the way that word Reshit works and it's been used, in generally it's used exactly the same as is in um, Genesis 1 verse 1. And it's got the same meaning containing inside it already the definite article. Now there are technical ways of looking at it and we'll look at it in the next um next podcast because it's not only hebrew that does it the greek does it as well you get it the same thing in um when he speaks about the messiah the prince in daniel chapter 9 you get it there you get the same thing that's hebrew you get the same thing in the greek when you speak about the lord jesus in the beginning was the word the word and the word was God, or is it a God? See, once you start getting into these things, doctrine can actually change. Because the, the JWs, the, the Watchtower Society, they, um, I don't like to pronounce their, their full name because I think it's blasphemous. They actually translate it as, in the beginning was the word, and the word was a God. They translate it a God, because that leaves the possibility that the Lord Jesus, which we know that verse points to, is not the God, but just one of multiple, or he's a lesser. And, 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 and that's the whole thing. It becomes a doctrinal thing, and it becomes a serious thing, because you're now messing with the salvation of people. And um, we know, of course, the Lord Jesus is not a God. He's the God. He's the only God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. We can't explain it fully. But that's the, that's the fact. That's what it is. The Lord Jesus is also fully God that saw our need for salvation. And fully God came to earth to die on the cross for us as a complete man. And now he's fully God. He was fully God while he was on the earth. He was fully man as well. I don't don't explain everything. I, I can't explain it. God knows it. But that's the case. So you get into doctrinal things now. You, is the earth millions of years old or not? Does it even matter? Is there one God or not? Does it even matter? Is there... Um, things like that. It, it gets serious. Uh, there are other places as well. We look into that in a more technical sense because you, you, you get the same thing in English as well. But be aware that it's not always translated as beginning. But sometimes in the Old Testament, this word reshit is sometimes translated into a comparable word appropriate for that particular instance. And I'll show you some of that. So let's get to the technical bits. Here we go. Note also very carefully in the study below that in all of the 17 times, 17 times, where Moses used this word's derivatives, as in the first five books of the Bible, the ones that we know Moses wrote, it is never with a definite article in Hebrew, but always translated with it in English. So Moses never put the definite article there. Yet we always translate it as such. Why? Because the context is plain and clear to us that it should be there. Now, verses without the definite article, but translated with the definite article. So you don't have it in the Hebrew, 
but you do get it in the English. Let's look at those verses. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So in the beginning. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Genesis 10 verse 10. Same thing there. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad, Alkalne and the land of Shinar. The first words there. Vat he reshit. Translated as and the beginning. Now my Hebrew isn't brilliant so I won't read the whole Hebrew but You'll get the idea. I'll, I'll read some of the words. The third one. Genesis 49 verse 3. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. He says there in the Hebrew, Reuben, Bukurai, Ata, Kohi, Ve Rei Shit. The beginning. And the beginning. Ve Rei Shit. Translated as the beginning. And the beginning. It, it, it contains the, the ve in there as the word and. So it is Ve Rei Shit and the beginning. Then you go to Exodus 23, verse 19. The first of the first fruits of thy land. First word in that verse is Reshit, the first. Now, in this case, it's not translated as beginning. It's wisely translated as first to make sense of the context. Yet, it still has a different article. You could say, Beginning of the first fruits of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. So, this is a command being given. Now, let's say, Beginning of the house of the first fruits of the land of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. You see, it, it makes sense to say the first, the head. You know that uh, Rosh we were speaking about. I mean, you, you need to analyze this and just think about it. Let's say you translate that as a beginning, because it only says Reshit. It doesn't say Harishit. It says Reshit. So, a beginning of the first fruits of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Now that doesn't make sense. You plant the seeds and your trees grow and they bring forth fruits and now the first fruits that come out is the first fruits. It's not one of many first fruits in that season. No, next season we'll have another first fruits but this season only has one. So I could say a Beginning uh, a beginning of the first fruits, but it, it won't have any meaning. So the meaning is clearly the beginning. When these first fruits come out, then I go and I take them and I bring them to the house of the Lord, my God. And that's, I mean, that's just very clear if you just think about it that way. Exodus thirty-four verse twenty-six: the first of the first fruits of thy land. Same thing. Once again, the word is reishit. Once again, it's translated as the first. To make sense of the the, uh, the context. Then, of course, you get the verses with the definite article and translated with the definite article. W verses like that is um, 
like Nehemiah 12 verse 44. Let me just quickly find it in the verse there. In the middle of the verse, it says, La Reshit. And the word is translated there is for the first fruits, which is exactly right. Um, it's, it's once again translated as first fruits, but it, it mentions here it's two. To the first to the for the first fruits you you also get uh, verses without the definite article and translated without the definite article Amos 6 verse 1 Reshit in the middle of the word Reshit Hagoyim chief nations now woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria which are named chief of nations to whom the house of Israel came. Now that's this nation. Think about it this way. The reason for this particular translation of it might be due to the fact that them that are at ease in Zion are plural. And they collectively are named chief of nations. You get that when you speak about things, something in plural. You don't always add the, um, the definite article. If you had it translated with definite article, it would be more correctly to be referring to a singular person instead of a group of people. It's speaking about them that are at ease in Zion. And if you speak and say, and trust in the mountain of Samira, which are named the chief of the nations, it would look like you're speaking about one particular person instead of this group of people. Amos 6 verse 1 is really the only verse of all 51 to be translated in the way of the multiple beginnings argument for Genesis 1 verse 1. And it can be seen that there's a good explanation of why it deviates from the manner set by the other verses. Comparing these verses does clearly show, though, that viewing the basic meaning of Reshit as beginning, in effect implying the beginning, is by far the norm, rather than the exception. And to interpret Genesis 1 verse 1 in a beginning way would honestly be going against all the other similar usages of it and therefore be incorrect. A verse such as Exodus 20 verse 11 also shows that every created thing such as heaven and earth and all created things in them were in fact created in those very six 24-hour days when the earth were created. It would therefore include all of the angels as well. Exodus 20 verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Now there's another discussion there. The heaven, heaven, just singular heaven and earth. And if you look at all that, um, that includes the heaven, the place where God dwells with these creatures and the heavenly creatures. The sea and all them, all that in them is and rest at the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Well, I hope you found that insightful and useful. Um, there are more, more verses. Look, look at the, the website. The article on there and, and have a look at them uh, send me comments if you wish i'll try and read through all of them uh, answer some of them if they are questions but um, that's the idea that the bible starts off saying in the beginning that's the best way of looking at it if you look at the context of how it's been used in the rest of the bible that would be the the way you translate it in the beginning one beginning at that particular point in time, he doesn't say when it happened. He doesn't say how long ago it happened. It says in the beginning. We determine when it happened from 
what is written subsequently. Reading the rest of the verses, reading the rest of the history and the rest of the books, up till where we've got it, up till um, where it's recorded, and we have secular history as well, and then we can work out all the way from the creation up to the current day, and we can determine when it happened, this particular beginning that the Bible speaks of. And you're going to struggle to really get much more than 6,000 years into that history, if you just look at it plainly. 